Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I want to give you the foundational reasons why I oppose big government. And maybe they uh, are are yours. Maybe you've never thought about it and it'll give you something to think about. Maybe this will be the thing that turns you and says, dear Lord, I used to be a big government person, but now that's over. I never actually looked to do that. I know that there are some hosts and some people out there, they're they're trying to convince you and switch you. I'm I'm not proselytizing. I'm just sharing an idea utilizing what's going on around us to talk about what might be a better way to do things. I think history shows us better ways to do things. It's like communism. If if you're a believer in communism, um, you're just awful. It's not because I say so. It's because history says so. Every communist is a liar and every communist is a murderer throughout history. Not every capitalist is a liar. Not every capitalist is a murderer. But every communist is a liar and every communist is a murderer. Well, okay. Not every communist is a murderer. You're either murdering or you get murdered. But if you had the power, you would murder. Because that's how communism works. Eventually, if you're the person in charge, the only way to stay in charge is to kill other people until they kill you. History, baby. Nothing more, nothing less. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? That is one hell of a way to start an hour. One hell of a way to start yourself a show program. But all this is to share a story about San Francisco. So when I start by talking about communism, hey, you got to admit, San Francisco, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close. I am pretty close. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. The story is about parking. And and uh, parking matters. When you live in certain areas of major cities, parking is everything. You might pay more for the parking spot than you do for the actual condo or, or the house. Parking spaces in New York are property in their own rights that can be bought and sold, and they go for major dollars. Parking is everything. San Francisco, there is a story of Judy and Ed Crane. Now, Judy and Ed Crane could live anywhere. Judy and Ed Crane could have been your neighbors in Saginaw, Michigan, or 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 in... Uh, in, in Fortville, Indiana, they could have been your neighbors in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. They live in San Francisco. And they have been living in the same home in San Francisco for 36 years. Oh, they might have made some good money on that house at, at this stage of the game. And you know what they have in front of their house? They got a little carport. You know what a carport is? Basically, it's a it's a it's a driveway. And then on some part of it, there's a, there's, a, there's a roof, like a canopy, carport. And they, boop, go right into the, to the carport. They park on the car pad under the carport. And then they get a message saying, sorry, uh, you can't park there anymore. They got a ticket from the city of San Francisco for parking in their own driveway. And they said, huh, this is weird. Then they looked at the fine. 
$1,542 plus another $250 a day if they didn't move the car. So these people write a letter and be like, yeah, this is our our, our driveway and uh, our, our car pad and our carport and uh, you made a mistake. And the city planning department's like, nope, nope, it's illegal to park in front of a house. You cannot park in the front of a house. If you do it again, it's a $1,500 fine. So they have to pull their car out from their parking spot, and they're like, this doesn't make any sense because they've been parking there for 36 years. So they go to the city, and they're like, this is crazy. And the city, instead of recognizing that this is criminally insane, says, you know what? Prove that the parking was was a historic use and you can maybe, maybe get a waiver. The city decides that someone doing something they've done for 36 years is no longer acceptable, which is not illegal. It's rational. You have a, you have a driveway, you park in it. Prove that it's been used as a driveway, as a parking, as a place to park. So they start looking up photos and they find one of their daughter 34 years ago. A part of the car, it's just a slight visible, but you can tell that it's a car. And you know what the official said? No, no, that's not old enough. It's 34 years ago. And they're like, no, nope, not old enough. So they start doing online searches. They start, you think I'm making up this story? ABC7 in San Francisco has a story. They start searching high and low. They start looking everywhere for searches and then boom someone took an aerial photo of the area in 1938 what are the odds, what are the odds? and in the aerial photo there is either a car or very possibly a horse and buggy Pulling into the driveway. It's like this little black blob, as Ed Crane describes it. Bloop! Little black blob. We only know that's one thing. We only know that it's it's one thing. They're like, aha! We have the proof for these no-good bastards at the parking department. Uh, that, uh, that's me saying that. I called them no-good pa- bastards. They, they, it wasn't the parking department. It was the planning department. We've got uh, the, 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 the proof, and we bring it to them. And the the the, par- the the planning department says, too fuzzy. So according to those who have looked at the code, uh, they say the couple is violating a code, banning vehicles in a setback in front of a house, even if it isn't blocking a sidewalk. A code that existed when? Where? For what reason? It's done for aesthetic reasons to ensure that front yards don't turn into parking lots. But you can park in front of a garage. They don't have a garage. They have a carport. So if they had a garage, then they could park in front of their garage. But because they don't have a garage, they're not allowed to park there at all. The claim is someone made an anonymous complaint to the city. And two other neighbors also got tagged. The guy who runs part the, the, the planning uh, department there, the chief, also known as Scumbag McGee, 
uh, stating, I recognize that the property owner is frustrated. I think I would feel the same way in their situation. But the planning code doesn't allow for the city to grandfather illegal uses on account of their having flown below the radar for a length of time. As a matter of fact, I, I am not a, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I believe that there are a lot of reasons why something that has been going on for years can continue to go on. The city doesn't win anything in this. All they did was hurt this family. All they did was engage in activities that prevent people from living as they see fit. Well, the city is allowed to have a standard. If you told me that you can't have a house in disrepair, I would agree with you. That there's a serious issue with people who let their houses in disrepair because it's what it could signal which is the idea of blight, which can then lead to uh, crime and other issues, which is why you see cities very often when you have areas that are, are run down, they'll go about fixing the windows. Broken windows lead to massive problems. This is a family that's living there and not bothering anybody. They did nothing wrong. Somebody wanted this to be a problem. I would assume we're going to find that they got after this a couple of offers to buy their home from investors who are looking for a way to get them out and are the kind of people who comb through code. Now, I can't prove this, but, but how close am I to correct? The city should, all cities should engage in rational thinking. There is nothing wrong with a standard. There is something wrong with being irrational. If the car was on blocks and there were four cars in the carport, you could have an argument. Well, Tony, now you're saying that I got to do these things on a case-by-case basis as opposed to having a standard. 36 years. Yes. You got to take a breath and a beat. Or people can park where they damn well please. One, if you told me the rule was one uh, space, one car, that makes sense. Therefore, four cars could be a problem. One space, one car is rational. One space, you don't get to have the car because you're not putting in the $70,000 investment for a one-car garage? This is an irrational thought. Can you imagine, and this is where you now have to really go, with all of the problems, all of the problems in San Francisco, this is what they're doing? What attributes it can be attributed more to the decline of property values the car on the car pad under the carport with no garage in front of it or the human feces that litters the sidewalks they need more room for the feces so you got to move the car that's a terrible theory producer all right what more damages the values the car on the car pad under the carport not in front of a garage or the homeless people strung out all across the neighborhoods, the tent cities, the crime. This is an irrational move from an irrational society. This is the danger of government largesse. This is what happens when people who create nothing are put in positions of power. And it's why government needs to be small. It's why you need to attend local government functions. It's why you have to videotape your city council, your town council, your mayor, everywhere they are. 
Because when you are not on top of them, you better damn well believe they're going to be on top of you. And it is this story that reminds me that government is a necessary evil. The people who run government, they have a thankless task, but an important one because many of us don't want to do it. We want to go about living our lives. But when they try to fill their day with making our life more difficult so they can prove their existence, they have to go. The less government does, the better. And the, and, and, and the focus is everything. If you're focused on the parking pad and not focused on the crime, you're doing it wrong. If you think the parking pad is what brings down property values and not the feces and the drug use and the 10 cities, you're doing it wrong. This is a nice note to the city of San Francisco to start voting people out left and right. And maybe San Francisco should learn that every time they vote for a Democrat, an angel doesn't get their wings, a family loses their parking spot. Why I don't believe in big government. Here's just one of many, many reasons. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. I don't usually start with, hey, here's a story about hypocrisy. I find that that everybody uses the term hypocrisy. Like when I do a lot of, of cable news, like I'm, I do Newsmax every week. I'm on News Nation every week, sometimes twice a week, sometimes three times. Um, invariably, if you're on any level of panel, there's always somebody talking about hypocrisy. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. And I, it's, it's not that they're wrong. I don't argue that they're wrong. And, and very often it's people that I, that I like. I, I think they're, they're lovely people. It's just there's something about it that, that I just think is, it's, it's like the low-hanging fruit. Hypocrisy is an easy one to find. You can find it anywhere and, 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 and everywhere. You know, we talk about Eric Swalwell in the, the straight line. He's got a picture of Lauren Boebert next to the murderer in Highland Park, Illinois. She's holding an AR-15. And he's like, it's time to draw the straight lines. Of somehow, as if somehow Lauren Boebert, the representative from Colorado, leads to murderous rampages in Illinois. I mean, the, the, the insanity there, the hypocrisy, if you will, is that the straight line goes from Eric Swalwell to Fang Fang, the Chinese spy that I'm saying he never had sex with, to Xi Jinping. I'm say I'm putting it on the record. Somebody earlier today, because I talked about this on the morning show, and someone on Twitter is like, damn, Tony. Well, what? Eric Swalwell isn't man enough to have sex with a commie spy who was sent to America to have sex with him. There's, there is no way, no way. Look, I know the man is married. He has children. I'm saying there is no way he has ever sexually satisfied a partner ever, 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 ever. What? What's wrong with you, Charlie? What? I just don't, I don't really want to hear about Think about Eric Swalwell satisfying women. Once you, well, you don't have to think about it because it never happened. But once you are the kind of person who will take a look at a lawful gun owner like Representative Bobert and connect her with a murder spree from this guy in Illinois, what respect are we supposed to have for you? How dare you tell me I have to hold myself to some kind of standard on this guy who was totally cavorting with a spy and gets to stay on the intelligence committee? Yeah, I all just, that's true. I just 
I don't need to think about him not being able to satisfy a Chinese spy. Well, he definitely wasn't able to satisfy the commie spy. There, he, no one has ever been satisfied by Eric Swalwell. Ever, ever, ever. If Eric Swalwell gave you lunch, you would still be hungry. There is no satisfying that comes from Representative Swalwell. But hypocrisy, uh, the story is in the Washington Free Beacon. And it's a story about John Fetterman. So John Fetterman is the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, and he's running for Senate, and there's a chance that he could win. He's a, he's a goofy dude. I mean, uh, definitely progressive, but just he, does, he doesn't look anything like uh, 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 what you would think a politician would look like. He's a pretty tall dude, big guy, bald, the, the, the goatee. He's, he looks constantly angry in, in my view. Right. What was that, Prisuri? He looks like a bouncer at a club. Right? That's what he looks like. Uh, it's just, just, it's just odd, like, like oaf-like. But whatever. He's he's running for office. He just has bad policies, bad, bad policy ideas. He's the guy who had a stroke, and I don't even know if he's back on the campaign trail yet. And he could still win because it's Pennsylvania. So the story is that as lieutenant governor, he took a family vacation to the Jersey Shore. Which wouldn't be surprising for someone in Pennsylvania to head down uh, to, to the Jersey Shore. So he's lieutenant governor. $3,500 was this trip. But that wasn't for him. That was what the Pennsylvania State Police spent for overtime food and lodging to this trip to Ocean City. Because Fetterman, as lieutenant governor, gets a security detail. And this was June 24th to June 27th of 2020 wait a second the lieutenant governor of pennsylvania while the state of pennsylvania was in lockdowns was on the jersey shore vacationing with his family outdoors without masks on while getting a security detail from the people of pennsylvania who weren't allowed to go to their job oh well, that's something. That's something indeed. How did he get such a deal? How did we not know about this? The Pennsylvania Department of Health was warning at the time against non-essential travel. The governor was going to crack down on the people on the Jersey Shore because of a spike in cases just two days before Fetterman went down. You got to love these guys. This is just the perfect case of hypocrisy. And I'm curious how the people of Pennsylvania will respond. More to get to. This is Tony Katz today. When Russia first started its invasion of Ukraine, Russia was amazed that Ukraine could hold. Actually, I take that back. The world was amazed that Ukraine could hold. Maybe Russia always knew that it wasn't as tough as it said it was. What Russia had going for it was two things. A, an unlimited number of soldiers because they could be conscripted, gun to head, head down there and fight even though many of them didn't actually know what they were fighting about to begin with and may not still be 100% sold uh, right now. 
And number two, you had Putin, who put all of it on this invasion, an invasion that wasn't necessary, an invasion that got no pushback from President Biden nor the world, an invasion that was fabricated. Remember Putin's task and goal is to grow Mother Russia. A man is a KGB agent who takes the fall of the Soviet Union personally. And there's no way to explain the levels to which, the depths to which that personal animus takes hold on him. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you guys. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. And Ukraine held. And Ukraine fought back. And people said, oh my gosh, these people are fighters. But it's been months. It has been months. And as the Wall Street Journal discusses, Russia's tactical shift in Ukraine raises prospect of a protracted war. Said differently, Russia has an upper hand. And it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now. West Point, War College. You see him on cable news outlets across the country as a military analyst and, of course, our military analyst here. Give me the sea change from, or, or maybe it's maybe I'm using the wrong word. Maybe I don't want to lead the witness. Give me the difference between the first two months of this conflict and the last two months of this conflict. Tony, great to be back with you. Uh, you. You now have an army that's learned, a military that's learned. The first two months, the Russians tried to do daring raids. They brought their most elite units into places that they thought they were going to overrun Ukraine military forces. They were spread out along uh, avenues of approach that were too wide for them to support. And they thought it was going to be over in three days. They ended up losing a lot of troops. They ended up trying to go back and do the same thing over and over again. And they finally realized that the only thing that's going to work for them is what happened in World War II, when it worked in World War II. And then they concentrated their forces. They focused along certain avenues uh, in the Donetsk, in, in Luhansk, in the, in the region where they wanted to take along with Crimea. And so really for the past month, they've had tremendous success there. They've taken it almost an inch at a time, let's say. But the bottom line is they are winning. And it's, it's hard for us to come to that conclusion now because we've been so positive about how the Ukraine military is fighting, and they, and they are. The, the fact that they're losing 200 men a day is one report that I've seen. But, uh, but at the end of the day, Russia still outguns them, let's say, 40 to 1 when it comes to artillery tubes, and it still has more ammunition than Ukraine has. And, um, and, and they're finally now breaking through and taking advantage of it. It's taken four months They've had a tremendous amount of casualties. And to your point about Vladimir Putin, he's not stopping. He, he still wants the whole thing. He wants the whole chunk. And he's going to do whatever he can to get to that spot. Now, going through a couple of pieces here, right? I was taking a look at that Wall Street Journal piece that you actually had uh, tweeted out. You could follow uh, the major MAJ, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, Major Mike Lyons on uh, Twitter. Uh, that piece, after early missteps, Russia has found tactics that are working as it makes steady advances in eastern Ukraine. I couple that with a piece from the BBC. Civilians flee frontline city as mm -hmm. Russians advance. So we watched the terror at Mariupol. We mm -hmm. certainly saw the early invasions of Donetsk and, and, and Luhansk, right? Mm -hmm. Those areas on the eastern side heading uh, uh, towards the sea there. But we have not heard much about Kharkiv, and we have not heard more about uh, bombing raids 
in Kiev. What we'll hear about is a mall gets bombed and 12 people are dead, but it's a mall. How are not 200 people dead? And there is a lot of not believing the reporting that's going on there. So when you talk about tide turning, when you talk about uh, 200 soldiers uh, a day, Ukrainians uh, a day being killed, do you have faith in that data and do you have an idea as to what's not being reported to the general populace? Well, so which general populace? Is it to, to, you know, from the east or to the west? I think that, you know, Russia is obviously reporting it's facing off to its people that things are going well there. And, and I think we're trying to find positive things that are happening from the west. For example, the Ukraine is chipping away at the south. They have uh, Russia right now owns about 90 percent of that coastline on the Black Sea uh, from the, what was formerly Ukraine. And uh, they can't take Odessa. If, if Odessa falls, it'd be a huge uh, loss for, for the Ukraine uh, government. Um, and they're chipping away down in places like Kharkiv in the south there using um, indirect and um, you know, in, irregular warfare. Basically, guerrilla warfare is what they're doing. They haven't done that in the east and Donetsk there because it's still fundamentally conventionalist artillery. And what I mean by artillery, it's standoff. The R- Russians don't have to get too far in, into the fight. It's not very close in battle where it's not you know tank on tank. Those things aren't happening. The reason why the the Ukraine military is losing so many people is because uh, of the artillery. The fact that uh, they, they fire it in mass, they fire it as an area fire weapon, they don't have to be accurate. Now, we've brought HEMARS, we've brought other, some kind of artillery that, that has great capability back to, onto the battlefield, but we've delivered, I've read reports of four platforms. They need 50. They need, they need a tremendous amount of, of logistics as well as all that. But when you have a governor of a city saying we have to evacuate 350,000 people, that's just you know, too big a too big a deal. I mean, to, you know, how are you going to get them out? You're obviously not going to get them all out. There's going to be more civilian deaths, um, and Ukraine just doesn't have the, the military. They don't have the the forces right now. I'd say both sides are fighting on reserves. I'll give you that. Um, both sides are somewhat exhausted, but I'd say the Ukraine military is still more exhausted than the Russian military right now, which is why it's going to keep going. Part of this is a conversation about where America is involved and not uh, involved. You heard uh, President Biden at the G7 summit saying, you know, we're going to be with Ukraine till the end, which I thought was actually an ominous statement more than than anything else. $40 billion just a few months ago allocated for Ukraine. Is it in America's best interest to keep Vladimir Putin fighting in this fight. Does this take our eye off the ball of what is uh, the, the, the China threat? Is there more to lose by Ukraine losing to Russia than we realize? Well, if Ukraine loses to Russia, it's more of a European issue. And, and the fact we see the Germans have woken up about this. Uh, you'll see Finland and Sweden and NATO now. The Turks seem to be more on board but it's going to isolate uh, more Russia in Europe. The question is whether they'll stick to it, whether you know they'll go back. The, the, the world still wants to go back to February 23rd when they were all buying Russian fuel and everything was good. And, and I, I, so I, I'm not sure it's gone on kind of long enough in that regard. Um, from us, we've got to keep our powder dry, and, and we've got to still focus on China, the, the threat that our, that our Navy has there with almost twice the number of combat ships they have in the south Pacific and in the South China Sea. And so I think that that's always going to be a mission. But that's not to say we can't you know, do both here. I think right now, unfortunately, the administration seems to be threading this needle 
of of almost managing the the, the slower destruction of Ukraine. And and I think you're going to see a lot more pressure come on from politicians to provide even more things. What will end up happening if if if, if we can it, deep down if the Russian military gets destroyed there, which is still a possibility as well. Uh, that's all. That's good for that's good for the world. That's good for security within Europe as well. Um, so I th- I think you're going to see uh, more support for more more things, more military equipment going to Ukraine, and the sweeping thing behind that is you're seeing both Poland now as well as all those NATO countries that were all reliant on former. Soviet level equipment when they were in the Warsaw Pact or NATO, they're all going to get new equipment. It's going to be a great time to be a defense contractor for the next 10 years. You're going to see a big upswing in opportunity there because all those uh, Western, Eastern, Western European countries now that were formerly on had had uh, Warsaw Pact equipment is all going to buy new stuff, and it's all going to be NATO stuff, and it's going to be good stuff. And I think they're going to they're going to you know kind of do that as soon as the situation is over here. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army, uh, West Point guy, war college guy, and military analyst uh, that you catch all over the cable news nets and our military analyst here. I want to discuss the idea that if Russia falls, it's good uh, for for all of us, uh, because the question before us would be, Does do these European nations have what it takes to help rebuild a Russia, and I'm not talking about necessarily with dollars, but with with attitude. Do they have what it takes to carve up pieces of Russia? Do they have what it takes to keep China at bay? Before we get to all of that, you had uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada and Boris Johnson of, of the United Kingdom joking about Vladimir Putin's shirtless photos and horseback and and, and the bear and, and and everything else and they were going to take their their own uh, shirtless photos and kind of mocking Putin that way. Putin responded by saying, "Yeah, nobody wants to see this." But I am I am left to wonder, and I've I've discussed this on cable news. This is not a serious group of people focused on uh, the welfare of their own nations. Never mind the welfare uh, of Europe. If the the job is to sit around the table and mock Putin while they don't have victory well within their grasp, was there a worldwide take to this conversation that took place? Well, the thing is, Europeans seem to forgive themselves when they make these mistakes, and Macron and 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 frankly, the European leaders. We've not seen the kind of leadership that we we need, frankly, in order to take care of this and. You know, the, neither is our president, right? We don't, we don't have a Roosevelt. We don't have a Churchill. There's no, there's nobody in in the in the pool of these elected politicians that that really get the magnitude of this. And and the fact that um, you know that Vladimir Putin still has tremendous capability and can do anything. He can, he can, he's even said it. He's even had it put on Russian media that he would attack London. He would attack Paris. He would attack Berlin. He would go after those. He could start the Third World War and. Whether we think, we, you know, we could do something right away, we, we can't. Uh, we would not nuke them. We would not fire nuclear weapons back uh, if you went conventional. It would take us years. It would take us years to wind up a military in order to do something. If he, if, for example, he just grabs the Belarus uh, military to the north there. He's got another couple hundred thousand troops. Then the kind of chaos that would be created in Europe is just, you know, unthinkable, but, but it's possible. And, and I think um, we, we don't have a serious set of leaders, unfortunately, right now. And I, this, our president's not capable of grasping it as well. He's, a, he's got too many problems going on 
to, to really understand it. And he just you know wants to write the check. It'd be nice if Germany, the, the economic hegemon of Europe, is Germany. Um, but but we've got now you know Angela Merkel 2.0, frankly, and that leader there, and Olaf Scholz, and and and, and you know they they still can't figure out how they're going to heat the country this winter because they've been too busy trying to align themselves with Russia. We just have to see where it goes. We're, we're in for a long haul, I think, in, in Ukraine, Tony. I think that it's going to be um, a lot more destruction, and I don't think you're going to see it end anytime soon. And that's going to lead to exactly how many dollars the United States needs to put into this, which I'm going to get to at another time. I want to get back to the point that I was making. If Russia falls, if Vladimir Putin fails and, it's, and, and his time is over, Mm-hmm. Am I wrong in thinking that parts of Russia could get carved up? Are the Russian people, uh, specifically to that western part of Russia bordering Europe, interested in being done with this Russian experiment? Do they feel a level mm-hmm. of, of nationalism? I, I guess to, to a larger uh, question, a more broad question, what is the best result if Putin is gone for Russia and for Europe? Are, are they the same or are they different? Well, the best result is the Ukraine border is redrawn. I don't see, you know, the, the, the problem Russia always had with Crimea was it needs a warm water port, and that was where their navy was in Sevastopol, and they need that spot strategically. So, you know, the, how, the, how they do that without taking that, it's just, you know, from, again, from a military perspective, you, you looked at that and said they're going to eventually take that spot back because it's that important to them. Um, I don't know how, I don't know how that works unless they contract it out in, in the future. Let, let's say, let's say Putin's gone and the, the, the person who takes over Russia is going to be more aligned towards the West, which again, I, I don't think that will work because in Russian culture, it's just ingrained to try to be a empire, uh, and 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 it's ingrained in the people. It's ingrained in their in whatever thing they do. So it's it's they're not stopping. I, I don't I just don't see that as the case. And and we you know we you heard one of the Biden aides make this comment about the liberal world order. I mean, what are you talking about? That that is just a pipe dream. That is a world that you want to believe exists. But that world is never going to be here as long as you have a Russia with 160 million people with nuclear capability, with the kind of military they have that can wreak havoc in, in, in Europe like they're doing right now. So I, I just, I, you know, you, I'd say, Tony, to answer your question, maybe to bring back that original border, but you're not going to see any nationalists. You're not going to see any people break away. You're not going to see Russia break up anytime soon. I think that, um, that culturally it's just too, it, 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 they're just keeping their powder dry for another fight. It's just too much in their culture not to give up. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army military analyst, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, Major Mike Lyons, on Twitter. Find him there. Always a pleasure, sir. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Seven counts of first-degree murder. Planned the shooting in Highland Park for a few months was wearing women's clothing so he could blend into the crowd and escape. And several warnings. You had the suicide attempt. You had the police called because he said he was going to kill his family. They took 16 knives, a dagger, and a sword from the home. But then the dad said, no, 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 those are mine. I just kept them in his room for safekeeping. You know, the son who just threatened to kill us all. And then the father helped his son by signing the card that allowed him to be able to go through the background checks that he cleared to purchase firearms. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today.
There is a lot to this story. A tremendous amount about this shooting in Highland Park on Independence Day that killed six, wounded 50. Sorry, killed seven, wounded 50. 70 shots fired at this beyond horror show. But it will now force us to look at all the people screaming about common sense gun laws and say, what else did you want? Our issue is not legal. Our issue is cultural. Our issue is a family that looked the other way. Our issue is a society where kids feel broken, that this seems cool. Our issue is not responding to the clues and cues. Our issue is not having a purpose-driven society and purpose-driven children that become purpose-driven men and women. And therefore, when you have purpose, you don't feel the need to go about murdering random people on a street. Those are harder conversations. It's easier to just scream common sense gun laws. But it isn't about common sense gun laws. These people couldn't tell you what a common sense gun law is if their life depended on it. You had police called. You had claims made. You had background checks. You have red flag laws that weren't implemented. Dear Lord, how much failure should we accept? Or is the answer just one more law and one more law and one more law? They believe the answer is end the Second Amendment. I am not with them. Find everything at TonyCats.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.